Just before we get into today's episode, I want to cast your ears over here to this promo for a few minutes and explain why you might be missing out if you're not using Adobe Express. You've heard of Adobe, right? The chaps that brought you Illustrator, InDesign, and who hasn't been asked, has this been photoshopped? Adobe is a household name. But have you heard of Adobe Express? I hadn't until the back end of last year, and then, well, I did. Now, I'm not saying that in a few years' time, people will be asking you, where were you when you discovered Adobe Express? But they may ask why you didn't start using it sooner. Using Adobe Express allows endless opportunities to scale up your creatives and improve your efficiency and productivity, as well as anything I've seen or used. Creating and editing all your creative output with more customizable templates than a Rubik's Cube has variations. Well, all right, maybe not 43 quadrillion, but you get the idea. And that is just your basics. Real-time collaboration speeds up changes, amends, and creativity sessions with a brand library that holds all your brand assets in one place, making the continuity for designs a breeze. If you don't want to miss out on any of this, use one of the links in the show notes that will take you to a free trial of Adobe Express. Or why not supersize it and trial the complete Adobe Creative Cloud package, which includes Adobe Express, as you'd imagine. Oh yeah, bonus point. If you're already a Creative Cloud user, Adobe Express is right there waiting for you. Now let's do it. We just need to adjust and we will adjust. And I think mm. the way it will actually help is, I mean, this is me looking into my crystal ball. I think the benefit of, of AI is decentralization. Welcome to Construction Disrupted, the ultimate podcast for the construction industry, exploring the limitless possibilities at the dynamic intersection of construction and technology. Wow, that's a mouthful. Delve into the latest topics, news, events, expert insights, and marketing that are shaping the industry right now and in the future. We'll hopefully sprinkle a little bit of humor in there for you as well. I'm your guide, Peter Sumpton, and I run a construction technology marketing agency, Build Different. If you're ready to embrace disruption and unlock the potential of the construction industry, keep on listening and be part of the conversation that's reshaping the future of construction. If you're not, uh, I really wouldn't bother. It's, it's probably not going to be that interesting for you. Whether you're a construction technology professional or just part of the construction industry in general. This podcast is your go-to resource for staying informed, inspired, and of course, connected. Speaking of connected, the best way you can help to support this podcast is by sharing it far and wide and leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Right then, let's go and build different and get disruptive. One critical part of the construction process that is detriment to the success of any project is the tendering process. Without this, there'd be less competition for work available. And although at times it can be painstaking, lengthy, and if you're on the wrong end of a result, disheartening, the industry cannot do without it. And whether you're at a PQQ stage, completed the PAS 91, 
or have templated tendering documents ready to rock and roll, there is still a heck of a lot of work to be put into the process. It's a skill, an art form almost. There is no doubt that technology plays its part and will possibly play a much bigger part in the future. As we see more tech removing or making light of the more repetitive and administrative tasks within construction. But when each and every construction project differs slightly, so will the tendering requirements, or at least the specifics within those tender docs. As you might have guessed by now, I am no expert at this. So it's time to chat to one. Demetrius Yanni, Director of Project QS Limited, a chartered quantity surveying and project management practice. Demi is a chartered quantity surveyor with over a decade of experience in providing cost consultancy and project management to private and public sector clients and contractors. Demi is also a property developer and has collaborated with landowners and developers to provide built assets across multiple sectors from residential to healthcare and even museums. Possessing degrees in both law and quantity surveying gives Demi the inside edge in procurement routes, contract selection, contract administration, and dispute avoidance. I think we could all do with a little bit of that. And no pressure here, Demi, but is an experienced public speaker presenting at hundreds of events to thousands of people. So we're expecting a polished performance on today's <laughs> podcast. Demi, welcome. And is there anything I've missed off that intro? Oh, gosh, I think it's a little bit too much, actually. Yeah, gosh, I'm under pressure now. Um, no, thank you for the introduction, Peter. Uh, happy to be here with you. Fantastic. So are we going with um, Demetrius or Demi today? Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose um, I was saying to you earlier, I mean, either or really. Um, yeah, my, uh, my, my gag is it's, uh, it's Demi by day and uh, Demetrius by night. So uh, however you uh, however you want to address me, I've, I've been called a lot worse anyway. So uh, <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'll, I'll have to come to one of your public speaking events and, and see Demetrius perform. So we'll go with Demi for, for, for today, <laughs> I think. Um, okay, so, so let's let's dive into this. Um, and there's, there's kind of one thing that I want to cover straight off the bat, and that is... I think some people take, you know, tendering and, and navigating the, the tender process a, a bit for granted. Like it's just step by step, and it's it, it, it's quite it's quite easy. But it's clearly a skill uh, to writing, tendering, and, and 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 doing QS. And we'll come on to actual pricing later. Um, but if we're going to cut to the chase, if you think about what a tendering <clears throat> process is and what goes into them, and um, what, what um, quantity surveying is all about. Why isn't this process just about numbers and spreadsheets? Why can't we just cut all the other crap out and just have numbers and people go with that? Yeah, it's a good question. I suppose the, the basis of what we do uh, is in numbers. Um, and I suppose traditionally there's sort of, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, bean counter. Uh, sometimes we'll be there with a, with an architect and you know what do you do i'm a qs oh you're a bean counter you know that's sort of the, yeah. the remark that's made and you know i understand where it's come from i suppose in certain uh, it's, if you're kind of specifically estimating with a, 
a bricklaying company, for example, perhaps you are counting bricks. So this, you know, I understand where it comes from, but um, the reality of being a quantity surveyor, and I guess in particular, a, a professional quantity surveyor that would sort of advise client side in particular, um, is, is actually the ability to speak many languages. And what I mean by that is you need to be able to speak to an architect about design. You need to be able to speak to an engineer about engineering, a, a lawyer about contracts, uh, an accountant about numbers, uh, insurance brokers about insurance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you need to have that understanding of a bit of everything. And actually you, you need to, because believe it or not, construction is a bit dysfunctional at times. And these people don't often communicate very well uh, with one another. Um, you know, try, try and get a lawyer and an architect in a room together. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's all hell breaks loose. Um, so, so that QS can, can often be a bit of that glue that can try to, to, to knead and, and knit everything together effectively. Um, so you need to have that breadth of understanding. Where an architect has incredible, an engineer, for example, have incredible depth of knowledge in their expertise. A lot of what QSing is, is having a wide breadth of experience and understanding about mm. uh, what a lot of different people do. Um, and a, a lot of those kind of conversations, when the room goes quiet, you know, in a meeting, uh, and it's a question that nobody knows the answer to, everyone kind of head turns to the, to the QS and the PM, because uh, he must kind of know something about this, right? Um, so yeah. that's kind of a lot of it. It's the ability to speak many languages, I think, is important. And that takes time. I don't think that's something that you mm. can learn um, just overnight. You can't read a book on that. I think um, one of the things I always encourage uh, like grads and, and apprentices to do is you're going to hear so many terms in a meeting. Create a glossary for yourself and write them all down. Um, you know, uh, then afterwards you can go research what it is that 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 acronym meant. What, what does that jargon mean? And with time, you'll be able to build up the lexicon that allows you to actually speak to everyone, um, you know, in, in, in the right language, so to speak. So I think that's one thing, you know, that's probably an, un, an unknown skill that needs to be required. Um, but I guess the other one as well is that um, it, what QSs don't do is keep a ledger, right? It's not just, okay. it's not just keeping a ledger of costs. Uh, it's not collecting receipts of costs because then you could have an accountant. Why would you need a surveyor? You know, they're, they're pretty good at that. You know, why would you need that that specific uh, role of, of, of the surveyor, the QS? Um, and I think that the, the real determining and distinguishing factor is actually the ability to forecast. So a QS needs to build for himself a bit of a crystal ball, really, uh, that he gets to look into from time to time that allows him to forecast the future. Um, again, that's not necessarily a science. It's not science. It's an art. It's an art form. It's not necessarily a, a science in that regard. And it, it's based on data, for sure. But it's the ability to take the information you have and actually make it useful for your client. So an example might be, I suppose, two, two particular documents which um, QSs are known for producing, one being the cost plan uh, and the other being the cost report. So a cost plan is, is pre-construction, pre before you're on site, the cost report being after, and the cost plan effectively sets out, uh, like a, it could be a budget or an estimate of the cost uh, at the end of the project. So from right at the beginning, you're having to forecast the end uh, when, you're, when you're just at the start. Uh, and so that takes a lot of kind of risk calculation, um, contingency calculation, seeing what's not on the drawings. Uh, you know, knowing from experience, right, I, I just, this, this is going to need to have, you know, the, the lights are not drawn on the, on the, on the drawing yet. I know lights are going to go in. So I need to factor in a cost for the lights, even though they're not on the drawing. 
um, these kind of these kind of things. Um, so then there's the forecasting at that point. And then when you're on site, you have the cost report where you're collecting the changes that have happened along the way uh, and, and having to sort of provide an, uh, an anticipated final cost of the project whilst the project is live. And so what, what this means is if you were building a house, for example, Peter, you would you would say, right, yeah. I'm, I'm building this house. Um, I want to change the flooring. I want to put on the floor heating. I want to add a few lights. I want to do X, Y, Z. Um, Demi, do we have enough money to do the garden? Now, I need to be able to take the original cost that we started with, all the costs that we know about, all the costs that we don't yet know about, but there's something possibly out there that we've discussed. And then you're asking me a question, can you afford to do the garden as well, for example? And then I, I'd need to be in a position to say to you, um, yes, Peter, you can do the garden, but I'm only, you can only do it for 20 grand. You've only got 20 grand to do it. So in that way, it's actually a decision-making tool. It's not just mm. a ledger, it's a decision-making tool. And that's the idea. You've got to take that information and distill the lessons from it and the, the information that actually becomes useful to the client. Uh, and that's really where the skill of the of the QS comes in. Nice. Uh, so so you, you've got degrees in, in law and, and quantity surveying. Uh, do you find that that helps... And, and and there's a balance here because what you said there is it's you know it, it, it's a skill and and an, an art form so clearly there's things that you, you won't learn and understand through doing degrees but do you see that that do having both of those in your back pocket is a, a benefit when you're talking to multiple different stakeholders Yes, uh, I, I, I would say it definitely does benefit me um, when talking about specific topics, things like the contracts. Mm. Um, uh, obviously, law is very much built into uh, into understanding and, and kind of drafting of the contracts. Um, so that background does allow me to have that that sort of foothold, up, um, kind of particular strength, you might say, in, in that area. Mm. Um, in the same way that if I'd come from a plumbing background, I'd be particularly good at pricing up mechanical M&E jobs, you know. So I suppose my particular specialism from my background uh, is in, in kind of contract preparation, contract practice, dispute avoidance, procurement routes and things like that, which um, seem to have more symbiosis with, with law. Um, but I think that's the yeah. thing about QMC is that you don't have to come from a law background. Um, you, you can kind of come from an, a variety of backgrounds. Some people come from architectural backgrounds. Some come from structural engineering. You know, some are on the tools. Mm -hmm. on, on, you know, so I think because it's such a varied profession, it's quite uh, it's it's quite it's got a lot of opportunity for a lot of different people to to actually give their um, interpretation of it or kind of put their efforts and what they're good at into into the role. Um, and so I've got I've got QS colleagues from all manner of different backgrounds, um, which makes for interesting discussion. It makes for interesting skill sets and um, uh, interesting kind of company work environments as well. Yeah, having having that variety ma massively important in in any any sector or, or, or industry. Uh, okay, so so there was a report in twenty two by Gleeds, um, and and. It was focused on getting contractor feedback and it identified the importance of a, a tender list selection, getting the right number of con contractors uh, to, to approach or, or, or get them to, to, to tender. 
uh, as and the reason they gave for this specific number or getting the right amount of, of people to tender was that any unusual activity, unexpected competition, subcontractors pricing for full projects or larger contractors competing for smaller than usual projects can be hugely disruptive to just that one part of the process. So that highlights the fact that there are multiple factors in play within within tendering. In in your opinion, how has the process changed since um, you've started doing this kind of work? <clears throat> I suppose one of the biggest and most obvious changes in the last several years is the rising costs of materials uh, and in some cases mm. labour as well. Um, and that that has had an impact on the procurement routes that are favoured. Um, the market tends to tell you what the market likes and that changes with time. So traditionally, the design and build form of, of uh, contract and procurement is, um, uh, is the most widely used in construction. Uh, it typically accounts for about two thirds of, of projects. And but what, what some reports have said that we're seeing at the minute is a drop from around two thirds to around half of projects. So it's still the most favoured, but there seems to be a movement away from it in the last recent years. Um, and actually what you're seeing is uh, an increase in traditional procurement. Um, so I don't know if any of these terms are, are unfamiliar to your, to your audience, Peter. No, I, I think, I think, I th uh, yeah, if you could, I, th I think we, we've done all right so far. Um, okay. But yeah, if you know, if you could, it's all it's always good to have that explanation just just so we're not scratching around or basically googling absolutely. it while you're listening. No, absolutely. So, so um, I suppose that there are, there are more than two forms of contract, but but gen, you know, very broadly speaking, the kind of the two most popular are design and build and and traditional procurement. And so, traditional is basically an architect, an engineer, design team. Uh, produces a set of drawings on behalf of the client and the risk and responsibility for design sits with the client it's his choice mm. you know he can go he, you know he designs everything and then what you do is you tender that scheme to a contractor and the contractor builds what's on the drawings um, and that's mm. what's referred to as traditional procurement um, uh, and uh, i suppose when you when you kind of compare that to design and build the the design risk sits with the other side, it sits with the contractor. So they are responsible for, uh, they wouldn't necessarily, you know, the, the amount of design that, that would be given to them can vary, but certainly it wouldn't be a complete set of drawings. Um, and so the contractor would then be responsible for the, maybe the coordination of, um, of services. Maybe there's particular specialist items, which uh, a client doesn't care, but it needs to be done. And maybe it's the foundations, for example. Maybe the client mm -hmm. doesn't particularly care how many foundations are on their skyscraper. Uh, but, you know, here's, here's a, a base design. Um, you guys go and see a specialist and figure out what exactly needs to be done to hold this building up. Uh, or perhaps, um, you know, a developer who's doing a, a residential housing scheme, he doesn't care that the height of the plug socket right? Like just make it building regs standard. I don't really care, right? You know, it, put, put a couple of subjects in each room. That's not what's going to make him money. So he might want to offload that design onto the contractor. And so in that case, you, you would be uh, preferring to use a design and build contract. Very broad brush, um, but that mm -hmm. sort of frame, frame the conversation. 
And generally, design and build has been favourable in the UK. As I said, it's about generally been about two thirds, and we've seen a reduction by some reports to just over half of contracts now. Whereas traditional has seen a bit of an uptake from around thirty percent of contracts to around forty percent, um, and that's sort of reflective of how the market sees risk in in, in you know, out there. Um, if if uh, contractors perhaps are saying, I don't want to take on design, but the, the costs and the risk I have to absorb are too high. I, d I don't want to take on that risk as much as I was happy to a, a few years back. Um, and at the same time, what we're sort of seeing is competitive tendering, which I, is, I think, what you were uh, suggesting in, in the Gleeds report, where you will select four or five contractors, perhaps, and, and sending the, the, the tenders to them. That's very traditional. It's kind of what every uh, every professional will advise a client to do. You're starting to see that, that there's a reduction in clients wanting to do that and preferring a negotiated route, which is where you choose one contractor and you go with him. Um, and that is sort of a completely different uh, way of, of procuring the right contractor. But it seems to be a slight change in the market in, in, in that regard in the last few years. Um, but these things are cyclical. So as the market picks up, they change again. Um, so it's not it's not sort of the be all and end all. And, and certainly some pockets of the market are still uh, is still more favorable to to do a competitive tender. Um, but it tends to be generally speaking, it tends to be the larger contracts, the, the big engineering jobs, the hundred million pound jobs and so forth that that seem to have gone down the more negotiated route where you you know maybe you, you you sit down with with one contractor very early on he helps you with the design um and then you sort of progress the design with the contractor before you then agree a price and actually uh, and build, build build the scheme and i suppose from that perspective then it's timing is massively important for when you're aware that your services or other services might be needed I'm, I'm guessing there's there's a slightly different process to both in terms of when a contractor comes on board and when other other stakeholders are, are needed in 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 both those processes do you mean from the point of view of a, of a qs uh from a qs and from a contractor and, and from everybody that's involved right. I, I'm, I'm guessing and correct me if i'm wrong but i'm guessing that uh whichever process you decided to go down um, different people are needed at different points in time. Right. right, yeah. So what you'll find is some contractors um, have a preference for one or the other, for sure, mm. um, okay. you know, as a kind of a cultural thing. You know, we we prefer to do, and generally speaking, I would probably suggest the earlier a contractor can get involved, the quicker he can get his feet under the table and he doesn't need to waste money on tenders, which which he may lose. So certainly there will be a preference for, for kind of a what's referred to as a two-stage process by contractors mm. um, and some are, are, are more set up for that than others might maybe they have design teams that they work very closely with uh, or even in-house um, i think from the point of view of the professional team i think the professional team will, will be aware of either or situation and everything in between so should be uh, quick to mobilize and pivot in whichever direction the market can okay. can take them um you you, you might see s sort of other procurement routes, which are less common, things like construction management, um, which uh, some consultancies may be better equipped to manage than others. But, mm. but generally, any chartered surveyor should should be able to to um, 
tender in either in either direction, really. Okay. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, um, pricing as as ever is, is always going to be something that that people focus on. And going back to the Gleeds report, it, it actually highlighted a number of ways that volatility, as well as other challenges uh, within construction or in the market in general, could be overcome. Uh, and it'll be no surprise to you, it includes better engagement throughout the supply chain and throughout tendering and throughout projects, placing orders earlier. Uh, but at the end of the day, going back to what we've just said, the majority is surely about pricing and there is a risk that the cheapest always wins. Is this the case or is it is that too simplified to see it like that? I've got I've got real gripes with this actually, Peter, because I, it, it's the only industry that I know of that is you know the cheapest is always best. Um, if I was going to sell you a car and you wanted a Mercedes, and I said to you, you know, I oh, don't get that. This this Skoda is much better. You know, it's, it's half the price. It, don't quite, it doesn't quite work that way. You know, it, obviously you're buying a different offering. So it's funny that it is an industry that somehow the cheapest is 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 always best traditionally. Mm. Um, that said, there is a a movement. Uh, and it's been around for some time, to be fair, uh, to try to create what's called a weighted tender. Um, okay. Some refer to it as a value selection criteria. Uh, and so the way this works is that cost isn't actually the only factor that is uh, that needs to be considered. And, and it's actually quite obvious when you think about it. The other two are time and the other one is quality. So you've kind of got this... Mm -hmm. Tri triumvir is that the right word you know where you've got cost time and quality are the, are the main factors uh that concern uh, a client and i suppose to the side of that is the, their risk profile the client's kind of aspirations for risk but if we take the three you can only have two you can't have the third so to, to give an example if you want something done um quickly and cheaply it stands to reason that the quality is going to suffer and likewise, if you want something done quickly to a high quality, you're going to have to pay more. Uh, and so when you consider that, actually the aspirations of the client need to be considered when you are uh, tendering. And, and it's, not, it's, it's not just a case of selecting the right contractors, but it's also embedding the requirements of the client as part of the tender process. Um, what that means is, you might have a situation where it's been determined that the cost will account for 60% of the uh, the award of the, of the contract. 20% goes to quality, 20% goes to, to, to the time, the, the program uh, duration. Um, and in that way, the it's not necessarily the cheapest that's going to win. It, it's going to be the one that has the best offering for the client. Um, now that sounds good and i suppose one issue is that that needs to be made clear in the tender because there are situations where a contractor goes in the cheapest doesn't win and, and then and then is furious about it kind of thing you know he should have won it and so forth so that firstly needs to be made very clear as part of the tender process um and i suppose the other challenge that is faced is it can be quite difficult to convince a, a client who's who's at fundamentally the money in this in this situation who's paying for everything that they should spend two million pound more on the project because they're going to get a better product at the end of it yeah that's quite a difficult sell at times so there's there's an element of, of client management and also clarity as part of the tender process um uh, 
so but but that is definitely the way we, we sort of can steer away from this race to the bottom effectively the cheapest product's going to always win um, and that doesn't always you know that that's not a good way to set up a job because because a, a, a contractor low balls the project that doesn't bode well you know if he's priced it too, too cheaply it either means it's, it's going to mean one or two things either he's going to aggressively come after variations post-contract you know and you're going to have a very contentious project because every decision that's made he's going to say oh i didn't allow for that i didn't allow for that and you get into this kind of argument mm -hmm. uh, situation every, all the time which is very draining on 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 everybody really that's involved and it doesn't create a collaborative atmosphere um all the other projects he's low he's lowballed the project which means he needs to get another project to to fund the loss right and so you've got a house of cards situation and that's not always easy to determine just by looking at somebody's books actually um, and that's where you see a lot of these big contractors suddenly go pop you know they're turning over hundreds of millions and suddenly they go pop and it's because the structure mm. of their their projects is not really um, been well looked after and um, so you want to avoid a situation where a contractor is low-balling a job uh, actually but it's very difficult as i say to kind of convince someone to spend more money to get the same thing uh, or yeah. what's perceived to be the same thing um, but yeah there's a, there is an effort to do that unfortunately it, it currently some estimates say that it's about half, probably less than half projects that actually incorporate uh, any kind of weighted tender. Um, so that's something that I think, you know, it's, it could be a move in the right direction to sort of make that a standard part of, of tendering processes. Yeah, it's, it's, I've, I've always found it interesting, the whole cheapest wins or going for the, the lowest cost and, and, you know, we hear this, the state of, of the economy and, and things are, are tight and prices have increased, particularly in construction and, and, and things like that. But I've, I've never been one for just, oh, that's the cheapest, so let's let's get it. And you, you can see that some people have no option, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm not denying that, but where you see it throughout anything you do. You know, you could go to do a, a big shop in any of the supermarkets, you know, you name any of them, and they'll have various degrees of, of quality of of whatever yeah. you're looking for and yeah don't get me wrong if you're going to have um i don't know chopped tomatoes in a tin it's debatable whether the one that's the 15p one is exactly the same product as the one that's right. five three pound right. or whatever you know right. that's debatable but when it comes to other things you can definitely tell there is a different quality so i suppose that goes included in that tendering you could almost add there's an element of of marketing and definitely sales in that well what what's what's your main objective here what's your main outcome who's your target market at the end of this project if it's a a, a building who are you looking to move into it you know if it's for a community you know who are you looking to 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 try and get into that building and and what their expectations because at the end of the day if those expectations aren't met the building's going to be defunct anyway because it's not going to reach its requirements so i think there is a, a level of, of of marketing in there um and and it certainly is a skill like you said to to highlight to people that if you spend an additional x you said two million i think if let's just stick with that if you spend an additional two million that means that you will have what you actually need for, for for the the project to to deliver yeah yeah that's exactly right and i think so certain 
construction firms will pitch themselves at a certain level and they, there are reputations mm -hmm. in the market people know that if you're looking at a hotel you'll go to to you know these kind of contractors who have built okay. these tenants previously of this level um you know so there is there is reputations in the market um i think often what what can be an obstacle as well is where you get you get contractors who are very good at, at building and what i mean by that is you know bricks and mortar groundworks structures that kind of really are, hardcore construction work and then you get other contractors who um, are, are much better at the finer details the fit outs um, and actually sometimes what what con construction firms don't want to do is say we only offer this or we only offer that and they'll say we offer both um, and, and that's sometimes where you need a discerning professional to say do we want to actually uh, break this this project up into into phases into sections where you've got different uh, contractors that are actually undertaking different uh, parts of the project. Mm. Um, you know, we can get someone to put the frame in who who is is a boots and braces sort of groundwork or construction, and then we get a different team in to do the fit out who we know they've got a reputation for for doing. You know, for example, I did a lot of work in museums. That takes a particular contractor to be able to create yeah. that. You're not going to get you're not going to get one of the big you know ground workers to come in and start putting in artwork pieces in 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 uh, you know, climate control casing, you know, it's just not the same person doing it. And that's something that's sometimes overlooked where you, you, you don't want to complicate the job. You want to have a simple process because generally simplicity is best. Um, but actually you find yourself in a situation where the contractor has marketed themselves as being an all purpose kind of one-stop shop, but perhaps doesn't have the necessary skills in a particular element of the build. Um, so that that can be a, a as well. Okay, uh, with all with all that in mind, on on the podcast we like to focus on technology and and how that's changing things within construction. Now I did a little investigating, uh, and it, it, with huge caveats here, um, there are there are thousands of tenders that are, that are out there right now that that you can get involved in, and and like you just said. All of them vary from the, the, the infrastructure to buildings to um, houses to like ev and everything in between. You know, there's, there's a tender out there. So with with all those tenders there, and I, I, I remember when, when I used to uh, work for a, a manufacturer, there were um, alerts you could get via email that, that highlighted particular tender opportunities. Uh, but that was many, many years ago. So with that many out there, what technology should we be looking at now? Um, and not just to, to, to view what's out there, but throughout the whole process, what should we be using now uh, that could potentially give us a bit of a competitive advantage? Hmm. Um, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, uh, construction's got a reputation for being a bit of a slow moving beast you know it's like trying to turn a forklift truck you know or a lorry to try and make any change but actually when you look at the technology that comes through construction it's pretty innovative actually and mm. an obvious one is that that if you're going to take qsing for example dim sheets were used for a long time um you mentioned to me that your uh your your stepfather was a was a, was a qs and I, I suspect he may have used dim sheets for um for, for as part of his work 
Uh, and that's quickly changed. Actually, the industry is very much pivoted and gone to Excel. Uh, Excel is kind of your staple, really, in terms of what, mm. what QS uses as his tool. So if anyone does want to be a QS, um, the, uh, the yeah, get that, get that Excel into you. I tell you they don't teach you enough yeah. in schools, but it's, uh, it's really a big, a big Absolutely, tool. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but obviously, Excel is nothing new. There's nothing cutting edge about Excel. It's been around for you know for, for a long time. Um, so what the industry has brought forward, uh, and this has been around for probably around ten years. Some of these softwares, uh, maybe longer, is sort of measurement software. Um, whether it's it's uh, Cato, whether it's Bluebeam, Costex, there are all these different tools that assist in measurement. So a, a bit like how uh, we went from hand drawings to AutoCAD with architecture. Mm. It's the same thing when it comes to sort of uh, certain QS activities as well, where you've got measurement software. Um, and, and that's kind of widely, widely used one form or another. Um, and now you've got this wave, obviously, of AI. And, you know, that's kind of just exploded on all of us. Uh, and actually, from my observation of the market, construction has been very quick on the uptake of this that people have really seen the offering that's available and actually how this can really streamline processes um and uh, i've been um doing a bit of deep diving with kind of all the different technologies and ais that are available uh to to the market at the moment which are not people don't really know about it you know so i've been kind of posting weekly on on, uh, on my LinkedIn about all the different softwares uh, that are available that people should be looking at. Uh, and there's software for measurement that can can take uh, a drawing, which let's say it takes half a day for someone to, 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 to take off the, the floor plans, for example. This will do it in five seconds. It would do the walls, it would do, it would do the, the, the layouts. Uh, literally five seconds, it's, it's done. Now the technology is not there 100%. You, know, you can't give it every type of drawing and it's gonna do this on every type of drawing. But it's, it's a work in progress. And over the coming months and years, what you'll see is that the technology advances that it can look at a window schedule and take it off. It can look at uh, mm. structural elements and take that off. Um, so that's really exciting stuff. Uh, it doesn't, you know, in some cases people worry because they think, gosh, I'm my bread and butter is doing cost plans and, uh, you know, where's my job going to go? Um, but it's a bit like, uh, you know, to, what's the phrase that, um, uh, was it? TV killed the radio star kind of thing, you know, it's, um, yeah, yeah. we've got to move with the times, unfortunately. And, mm -hmm. um, and actually the construction industry has been very good at pivoting and people have been very quick to learn, uh, learn new skills, uh, other, other AI for safety, um, such a major factor in construction safety. It's still, unfortunately mm. by its nature, one of the largest, um, uh, you know, accidents and, and, um, uh, deaths at the workplace uh, in terms of industries. Uh, so there's huge advancements in safety through AI that they can kind of foresee problems before they happen. You get these like, robot dogs that can walk around site and take 3D scan images and so forth that can detect things, create um, uh, sort of live plans. I, I mean, incredible stuff. Uh, yeah, design, yeah. you can change things in an instant with design. You don't need to spend two weeks to redesign your your all your drawings there are softwares that can flip things very quickly so if an architect wants to show one i don't know, one kitchen style versus another very quick you can switch it out switch it in um, so there's some such great opportunities there and i think if anyone is tech minded it's a really exciting place to be actually in construction there's so many opportunities there to, uh, to for people to learn specific skills that relate to, to software that can really advance the industry i i think we can be very blinded by 
the um, the more accessible AI and see that as it in its entirety. So clearly, Chat GPT is the one that that, yeah. that people jump on, and not that it, it creates a visual. There are AI that does that, but it, they see it as a um, they see it for for what it is the front facing part. And I think the beauty of AI and and the way it is being implemented uh, in in loads of different industries and construction is behind the scenes is 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 the back end and like like you said yeah i think construction is slow on the uptake but again even that the majority of that is front facing so you're talking the actual build whereas behind the scenes so architects etc etc i think they're quicker on the uptake than than anyone gives construction credit for to, to be perfectly honest um and and I, I i just love it when people are fearful that it's going to steal jobs or or it's not it's not good or there was a really good linkedin post um that it was like a one-liner and it said chat gpt is the best advert for uh human copywriters and it was just like it, it just made me chuckle because it's like yeah, if you take it on face value, if if you think you're going to go to AI and say, write me the best copy in the world that covers all these all these yeah. topics and it is undeniable that someone's going to read it and think I'm a genius and it writes it and it's not 100% as good as you expected it to be. Right. Well, no, no shit, because it's in its infancy. That's like going to Google and say, you know, I'm looking for a cat with three legs that's black and white and it comes from new zealand and it's like google in its infancy it probably couldn't do that it's not that sophisticated um you know people forget that yahoo actually started with thousands and thousands of people documenting each website into a category you know it wasn't done by a machine and 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 now that that in in anyone's head sounds absurd that somebody would do that. Thousands of people just online looking at different sites going, oh, that's sport. Oh, that's construction. That's nuts. Um, So anyone that thinks that AI is is a fad or it's going away is is just ludicrous. It's there to help us. It's not there to steal anyone's job. It's there to help you get better. Yeah, and I think think we've got to be mindful of of this backslapping that happens sometimes. You know, we want to sort of... Yeah, exactly. As you say, it's in its infancy. Just because yeah. you know the human, the, the, the human can can write a better book right now. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't it that that AI won some art competition. They submitted it as part of an art competition. Didn't tell anyone it was AI generated, and it, it won. You know, I mean, yeah. it's here, it's here, and it's incredible. Um, and I think we just need to pivot our skill set to understand how to best utilize mm-hmm. this. Uh, yeah. And it happens all the time. This is not the first time it's happened. It's, maybe it's the first time it's happened in our generation, but it happens all the time. You know, um, we just need to adjust, and we will adjust. And I think mm. the way it will actually help is—I I mean, this is me looking into my crystal ball um, that <laughs> that I mentioned to you earlier. Um, the uh, the I think the benefit of of AI is decentralization, and I think mm-hmm. what it will mean is we will not need teams and teams and rows and rows of people doing activities maybe it's drawing maybe it's measurement takeoff you know it, you won't require um big offices of people it will put power into the little guy and it will mean mm-hmm. that 
will be far easier to set up on your own. Um, if you're an architect, you can do things that previously you would need an office of, uh, of architects beneath you to do. You can do it yourself now. You know, that's where we're going to go. So I think it's, um, it's actually something that's going to empower smaller businesses. And what that will in turn do is drive costs down because as competition goes up, costs, costs go down. Um, and I think uh, that's generally a good thing for, for consumers everywhere, you know, and I don't think that's exclusive to construction. I think that's, that's everywhere. Yeah. So it's something we need to embrace. I don't think, you know, I think people get scared. I think often the issue is if I'm, if my job is under threat, my, my reaction is to attack whatever's threatening it. Uh, and, and kind of undermine it in a sense um but you know don't 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 be the next blockbuster you know that's <laughs> yeah exactly I, I read that last night i was looking at different case studies and i read that the the blockbuster netflix uh conundrum yeah. um and yeah. they could have bought them they were offered for something completely stupid uh price and it's like no it's never going to take off um <laughs> lo and behold uh, yeah okay so I, I, unfortunately we're, we're going to end on um n not such an exciting topic well it could be to you and i but maybe not to, <laughs> to, to listeners so let, you know let's go out with a bang uh, i just want to go back to the, the gleeds report okay yeah um and most of, of the respondents they actually agreed that flexibility to consider alternate materials would be beneficial for a tendering process but where i'm sat it looks like legislation disagrees with this for various reasons that have happened in, in the recent recent past. So where do you sit with this? Um, how have initiatives, laws and legislation such as Building Safety Act, more transparent yeah. uh, product information impacted tendering? Good question. Um, as, as you rightly say, you've got you've had certain things, certain laws that have been passed in recent years. Um, Building Safety Act you mentioned there, um, and and actually probably what hasn't happened uh, is a, a, a sort of a wholesale adoption and integration of of things like this. And and I suppose the reason for that is because um, the the staple uh, contract form in construction is the JCT. And you have the NEC, you have the FIDIC, you have GC Works, you have AIA. I mean, there are, there are plenty of other contract forms. Um, but the number one, at least in this country, is still the JCT. And the JCT was last updated in 2016. Um, so since then, we've had, we've had Grenfell, we've had the Building Safety Act, we've had the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act, you know, all that actually have an impact uh, on, on construction. Um, which are not picked up in the 2016 suite of the JCT. Uh, but um, what is happening is next year, the JCT are releasing uh, the, the 2024 suite. They're updating the suite uh, to include these things, actually. And so that's some of the things, some of the headline items which are being uh, introduced. I'm just going to move to the left because the light has ended up blinding me. Um, the, yeah, what has, what has happened is, um, the, oh, what's going to happen is that the, uh, a new form of contract is going to be introduced. So that's the target cost contract that apparently they're introducing. Uh, they're modernizing the language of the JCT, uh, apparently to include, uh, so to be gender neutral. Um, there are certain amendments uh, based on recent case law as well, not just statute, but also case law that has come out. So that relates to um, the way liquidated damages are, uh, are able to be applied effectively a damage that's written into the contract, a predetermined uh, 
um, loss that can be applied by the client if the contractor is uh, is um, is late. Uh, the term, you know, case law has affected that, so that's going to be incorporated into it. Uh, epidemics is another one. Obviously, we we know a lot about that, uh, so that's been written into it to take into account uh, extensions of time to the program, uh, additional monies that may be payable based on epidemics. Um, so that's expected to to be introduced. Uh, and as you said about the Building Safety Act, uh, that has a, quite a fundamental change to how safety is approached uh, on, on construction sites. That's being written into it as well, uh, is my understanding. So that's exciting, actually. And it, it means that uh, if you are in the industry, uh, there's a few more hours of CPD that you're going to need to incorporate. Uh, <laughs> when that comes out, there'll be people scrambling around to understand uh, what what they need to uh, update their their knowledge on the JCT always have a bit of a uh, you know throw a few curveballs in there that uh, upset a few people so there'll be uh, uh, you know a lot of a lot of CPD that that will be happening I suspect but I think that's important and I think it it shows that construction has changed in the last you know eight, eight years or so uh, that that things have impacted it and and that the industry is uh, is moving to to accommodate that. And I suppose there's that that nice linkage between what we were talking about previously and and what we're finishing on here, in that that you've got new technology coming through that could really help um, people and really help implant these new laws and regulations to to make the whole industry safer and more more reg regulated in a way, but for the benefit of everybody involved. So there's a nice linkage there between that tech and and safety absolutely. and product information and transparency absolutely yeah yeah there's a lot of focus on safety in construction actually because like i said mm. it, unfortunately it, by its nature um the, the, it's a risky industry to be in but that's not a good excuse at the end of the day the mm. the the effort of the industry is to reduce casualties and and uh and you know injuries to, to zero that's got to be the the endeavor of every uh, profession really and just because of some professions pose more challenges than others doesn't doesn't mean that uh, that's an excuse and so there's already been a big push in that regard uh, and this and ai certainly is only going to help in that in that instance um there is a lot that can be done to preempt the um preempt situations that could be risky that ai is helping with to actually predict where injuries can can occur um how things are stored in a safe manner uh, loads of things. I mean, honestly, if um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's really, it's actually quite exciting. Uh, and it's uh, safety doesn't sound like an exciting thing to be involved in, I guess, but um, it's uh, it is if you're in construction. Yeah, and and, and when you put tech in that, it's it, it's even more exciting. Um, yeah, Demi, th thank you so much for your time. It's been a real eye opener for for me and 100 for the for the listeners uh listening about tendering and qs and projects and and all the exciting things that are coming up and and that it isn't just uh although after this i'm pretty sure you'll go away and count some beans it isn't just all about <laughs> counting those beans <laughs> i'm having to count my beans at home unfortunately i've uh, you know we uh, we need to make sure that the budgets are, uh, are being maximized you know? Well, Demi, thank you so much for your time. It's been it's been a pleasure. No, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day and giving this a listen. If you want to chat further about anything you've heard on today's episode, have a topic or technology you'd like me to cover, or simply want to say hiya, 
You'll find me on LinkedIn or through the emails. Peter at builddifferent.marketing. Stay disruptive.